Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Zero Restriction. We have Jeff Ogilvie back on the pod uh, to discuss a lot of things, but one of the main talking points is the President's Cup. So who better than uh, Zero Restriction to be the sponsor of this podcast? They were the official outerwear provider for the President's Cup in December. So when you saw the U.S. team wearing the rain gear early in the morning, uh, that would have been on at night here in America, that was Zero Restrictions gear. So they make um, awesome layer stuff, uh, layering stuff. In in terms of this time of year, it's ideal, uh, whether it's their quarter zip pullovers, their jackets, or their vests. Uh, it, they've, they've become a staple of my wardrobe. You can get Zero Restriction Fried Egg gear at our pro shop um, on thefriedegg.com, or you can shop on their website, zerorestriction.com, and uh, enjoy 20% off with uh, the promo code on our website, OglevyPod. It's just Ogilvy Pod, and you'll get 25% off your order. So go check it out there, or uh, go to ZeroRestriction.com if you hate the fried egg logo. So we are back with Jeff Ogilvy. Uh, it's been a while since we talked. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. We're going to do President's Cup as well as some 2020 predictions and a bunch of stuff in between. I hope everybody had a safe holiday season. If you haven't been paying attention to the site, we got a couple big announcements. We, we launched our first two events for 2020. If you haven't been to an event, I, I highly recommend it. It's an awesome time. It's just basically a bunch of people that love golf spending the day golfing together. That's the best way I can describe it. Uh, we have two that are open for registration. Uh, one is the Boomerang at Seoul Park in Ojai, California. Ojai is a very amazing place to spend a weekend uh, or spend some time on and off the golf course. Soul Park is a Gil Hance course. It's it's a very, very fun golf course. I, uh, it's got a lot of really interesting stuff going on. And then uh, we have the Steam Shovel. So the Boomerang, going back to the Boomerang, that's March 28th, Saturday, March 28th in Ojai, California. So if you're on the West Coast, get down there. If you're in the Midwest or Northeast, What's better than a California vacation at the very end of, of uh, winter when you just had had enough of the 30-degree gray days that you see every day? Uh, so end of March, perfect time to be out there. It should be about 75 and sunny in Ojai and uh, a great weekend. And then we have on May 2nd our uh, steam shovel, so second year of the steam shovel at Lawsonia. Um, and then uh, finally... February 4th, if you want to mark your calendars, we'll be releasing the uh, registration for the Dog Bowl at Yale. So that will be June 22nd, which is a Monday. I'm sorry it's not on a weekend, but I'm going to be working all weekend at at Wingfoot for the U.S. Open, and it's just a short drive up from there. Sunday is, you know, uh, Father's Day anyway, so come out Monday. Take the day off work and enjoy one of the longest days of summer playing Yale. What better place? So that event, you know, we're really excited for. We're excited for all of them. Uh, The Boomerang, the Steam Shovel, and the Dog Bowl. You can sign up for these events on thefriedegg.com. Just go to our pro shop. Um, There's a link on the menu bar for the pro shop. 
uh, and you'll be able to find them there. There's a category and everything to search. So without further ado, here is Jeff Ogilvy. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. How was how was doing the broadcast at the Skins game? Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. It was, I mean, it was a whirlwind, and they kind of messed up the tee times. There was some, obviously, rights rule or some sort of ruling. They had to start it at 1 p.m. Japan time, and it was getting dark at 5, like really dark. So they didn't have enough time, and they had to hit it on the run. So I'm, like, running up the fairways with that little dude with the thing that's pointing it at the receiver attached to me the whole time and we're sprinting from shot to shot to shot to shot because I'm trying to be at driving distance and then at the green like always a shot in front and there's 10,000 people 20,000 people like trying to fight through Japanese golf fans with their phones out taking photos it was nuts but it was fun it was good fun that golf tv there are they're going to do some good stuff I think yeah interesting what they're doing yeah I mean I think they're they're forward thinking in terms of you know, with the digital and everything. I, I, I think there's so many neat formats for golf outside of just your standard Thursday through Sunday telecast. And it's such a norm, like the the pack, the normal TV package is so just bought up by CBS and NBC and everybody who like has their piece, but there's so much more room to put golf mm-hmm. out there, golf content, and they're, they're going to be a big part of that, I think. Yeah, it's interesting, and they've, I mean, Tiger's a big part of it, and they've got seem to have some pretty impressive people there. So, and they got limitless money. I mean, what they pay two and a half billion for the rights or something? Yeah, yeah, something crazy. That's, it's uh, that's crazy. I mean, I think they're they're betting on digital, which I think is a smart move. You know, I think that's a big part of this new rights package too. Um, but uh, what with doing the, it's, I don't know, it's not color, but encore stuff. What was there something that you now have a much greater appreciation for when you watch a telecast? How many balls are in the air at one time? The producer really impresses me. Um, and the producer is the guy, obviously, who's telling which picture to be on which screen, which graphic comes on which screen, which when we go to commercials, when we come out of commercials, and all that. And he is going... It's amazing how many balls in the air the producer has to keep four or five guys, like the talent organized and the cameras organized and the audio guys organized. I mean, it's, it's an amazing production. How many people behind the pictures is incredible. I mean, I always knew that anyway, and I'd been on the thing anyway, but this was the first time I'd been on like the, you know, the producer's earpiece. So he's yelling at you while you're talking, <laughs> talking and you're trying to do something else. And he's saying, don't say this, say this in the middle of your sentence. Um, he wasn't really doing that to me, but he does it to Rich Lerner and stuff like that. It's um, it's an incredible skill. These, especially the, the the skill that the Tarikos, Nance, Dan Hicks, Rich Lerners, you know, that the host, the guy who does that, is outrageous. How they can have so many things in the air at one time and have it come out all polished is incredible. 
Yeah, I, I like lack the ability to do two things at once. So if somebody's talking to me and I'm trying to say something else, it would be an utter disaster. I'd completely lose my train of thought. Yeah, those guys, I mean, they they earn their money, those those kind of jack-of-all-trades, multi-sport kind of host guys who like have producers yelling at them and telling them what to do. And they're trying to, they're getting the sponsor blip out there, like the little jingle out there and they're cutting to this guy and they're making Nick Faldo look good next to it or whatever it is. They're just, they're, it's a, the producer and the, the the main host. There are massive skills there, incredible talent. And that was like the easiest golf you could have because all the players were on the same hole. It was essentially for once golf was like a normal sport where there's one field where all the plays happening as opposed to the regular telecast where, you know, the guys on all different holes that are part of the tournament. It's kind of, it's nuts. It's a, it, golf coverage gets sort of a tough, you know, everybody complains about it, but it is by far the hardest sport of any sport to telecast. It's such a big playing field, right? And there's so many things going on. I mean, most sports in football is one play happening at one time, you know? And maybe there's something weird on the sideline or something that the camera wanted to see. We go off this 18 shots getting played at any one time. Like, I mean, there's shots all over the place and um, and other stuff. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, yeah, it's a cool world. I mean, it's it's a cool world. It's um, There's way more behind the screen than people probably understand with golf yeah yeah it's what uh so big i mean i didn't i don't think anybody really expected it to be like essentially the event of the fourth quarter was the president's cup that had to be pretty incredible to be a part of yeah it was nuts it was well firstly uh in the lead up because i was an assistant captain and i think i was probably the only time this has ever happened that someone in that sort of role was on the ground in that city the whole year leading up to the event. So that the Australian media and the tour were kind of wearing me out a little bit on the, can you come just do the talk to this guy? Can you do this newspaper thing? We've got to take this photo here. You got to, can you come do this speech at this thing? So it, it, it was quite a big build up for me too, because everyone in Melbourne was talking president's cup, president's cup. Cause when you're on tour and you're playing the president's cup, it's in your mind, but you're at, East Lake, and then you're at Fry's, and then you're at somewhere else, and then you're at somewhere else, and then all of a sudden, oh, the week before, oh, I'm going to Melbourne next week, play President's Cup. It comes into your mind right at that week. But for me, it had been in, like, it had been a big part of my life for the two or three months leading up to it. So it was quite a big uh, build up. Yeah. And then when it happened, they put on such a good show. I mean, the two are really, they run an event, they know how to put an event together. The, uh, I mean, the infrastructure and the stands and just how everything was a level above a normal PGA tour event and like the attention to detail and catering and the, even the ropes are nicer. And yeah, it's just a big deal. Like the big cabins they build for us. Cause we don't stay in the clubhouse. We have cabins mm-hmm. and they're all temporary buildings. So they build one for us and one for the U S guys. And it's a big room with 15 tables in it, enough for 12 players, 12 caddies, 12 wives. And, however many other hangers on, you know, it's probably another 10 or 12 hangers on with assistant captains and wives and tour staff. So each one has that. Each one has its own locker room, its own kind of private room. And we play music and have chefs and have food. And, and they were both right on the range. Um, so you're based there every day and out you go. I drive everyone around in my little cart and drop people off at the putting green and the chipping green. And um, is, is there ever any co-mingling between the cabins? 
Not really, which is slightly disappointing. I think you could. It'd be good if there was like a common area almost to keep the kind of, you, you know, in the original days of the Ryder Cup when they finished, they all probably sat around and had a beer, right? I yeah. would think. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, gradually over time, it got more and more kind of like that. All the sports, I think you feel like in the old days, they did that. It would be kind of cool if it was like a little common hangout spot that you don't have to go in there if you don't want. Yeah. But, Let's just go kind of fraternize with the other team a little bit. But it kind of doesn't sit. Modern society wants us to be enemies that week, right? So, um, no, you just kind of wave. It's very friendly. Once you get out there, it's great fun um, between the, the players. Everyone's very, very kind of friendly between golf, I would say. And then once the golf starts, it gets a bit more tense. Yeah. Um, you've, you've obviously been part of a lot of President's Cups uh, playing. Was this... Well, how, I guess, how was it, how much different was it being, you know, on the captain side? And obviously you're involved with Liberty National, but too, but like in your home country, how much different was that versus playing when you played in, was it 2011 at Royal Melbourne? It's different. It's in some ways it's, well, look, I'm a golfer, so I want to play golf and it's frustrating to not be playing and have it out of your control. You know, I understand like what parents feel and like wives feel and kids feel for their parents and all that. I, it's hard when you're out of control. It's much more nerve wracking watching someone else come down the stretch or do hit off the first tee than it is to do it yourself for some reason. Um, so that part is uh, difficult, but it's probably more fun doing the captain thing because you don't have to worry about how you're playing. Like when you play golf, at least I did anyway, every night it's like, oh, I'll just do this tomorrow a little bit better. Or you're always thinking about your swing or there's something in your back's hurting or you, 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 all your attention's on the golf. So you kind of miss some of the other stuff. And when you're playing, you have your week. So it's Jeff Ogilvie's week at the President's Cup. So I'll play with KJ Choi the first day. I'll play with Adam Scott the second day. So I go through, I don't know what, Ernie Els has done that week. I haven't seen him hit a shot. You know, there's seven or eight guys on the team. You don't, you hardly may not even see him hit a shot. So you have your week. Whereas when you're a captain, you've got this overview and you see everybody's week. You know, you watch everybody play. You kind of, you're on the radio. So you, you hear, we're basically commentating the whole day. Like everybody's keeping everyone up to date with what's happening. So Neiman's birdie the first, he's gone one up. Um, all that sort of stuff. And you're hearing this. All day, Louis, Louis flushing it again. He's going to win today. Did it and he's hold a fifteen footer for a half. How good is this? And it's you kind of you get the whole experience when you're a captain, you know. Um, and you still you feel you do feel a big part of the team too. It's uh, not captain, assistant captain, um, and you don't have to make any of the big team speeches like Ernie does. So um, <laughs> it was look, it's fantastic fun. It's an unbelievable event. I think. Obviously, the Ryder Cup is the kind of pinnacle of team events, but the President's Cup is um, its coming along. It seems to be against what some people seem to want it to not, not seem to want it, but uh, talk about it being like the little one. But it's becoming a pretty amazing event, I think. I think the key to it is like we're seeing this like continued growth of the game in Southeast Asia where there's more and more really good young players there coming out of there and i think that's so important because i i looked at it and it just seemed to me like the the depth of the u.s team just is the the big hurdle for the internationals 
It's a death, surely. If it was anything, we, I think, without being like silly, we outplayed, we won the team thing. First four days, we, we won, we were in front 10 8. We could have been way more in front, but um, we seem to be on top of every session. Like, and we, I feel like we did the pairings better. Like, we were, we knew what we were doing at the pairing little thing. What do you call that? Oh, yeah. Down. <laughs> those, those were late, late at night for me. I was like watching them. And then like, I had to go to like, sleep after. That's the hardest thing going to sleep after those sessions. They were so exciting. It's like Ernie Ells and Tiger Woods are playing Battleship, like E7. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's brilliant fun, but we did that really well. We knew what we went in with a plan. We knew what we were doing. We would went bang with our pairing and they would take their two minutes and then they would take their two minutes again and we would just go bang straight on top of them. So I feel like we did that better, but in the end, their, their world rank was average was 12 and ours was 41 or two or something. It's just at the end of the day. Especially with have, such yeah, a we long... We had to play. Yeah. It's so, so, so many matches, you know? It being a long, a, a bigger, you know, event hurts the internationals a little bit, you know. I think what Nick Price got rid of a few, a couple of matches. Yeah. Um, one of his theories when he was captain was the Ryder Cup format is four matches Friday, like four, four, four balls, four foursomes, four, four balls, four foursomes, and then 12 singles. Whereas we always used to do six. Yeah. Six, six, and then... Six on Thursday, six on Friday, and then five and five on Saturday. So there was four, five, six more points available. So Pricey's theory was the top five or six on each team are very equal, and the it, like the depth where the depth starts really coming into play down the bottom. Um, that's where the internationals are exposed. So it would be a bit, it would be a better tournament if we had less to play for. So he kind of got that done and we play for a few less points. And I think it's been closer since he's done that. Um, and his theory was the Ryder cup would be less one-sided if, um, if it was the same. Yeah. It was the, if the president's cup format was in the Ryder cup, then Europe would have a harder time winning the tournament. And he thought the internationals would just make a better tournament. So they've well, done that, but still, even so we still have more than the Ryder cup. Um, so you do get exposed a little bit, but saying that, we had, if we'd had some of the great teams that the international teams have put out there this time, I think we would have just rolled over the top on Sunday. We just didn't, you know, Jason wasn't playing. So we had like one of our best players not there. And it just was, we're in that kind of transition where we've got all these kids in their early 20s who are great players, but it was all their first time. So if that was all their third time and they were Louis Oosthausen now, Oosthausen now and Adam Scott now, then I think on Sunday we would have done a bit better. Yeah, yeah. It, it's um, it's the thing to, when you shorten it, it's like the NCAA tournament, the basketball. You get all the upsets because it's one game. You know, if if the the 14 seed is not going to beat the three seed, you know, four times out of seven, you know, like in the NBA where they do the seven game playoff every or seven game series. It's like there's so many less upsets because of length, you know, over the course of seven games, like the better teams. But like, but I, I was curious about the pairings, like. I heard a lot about the the data. Like, how did that work? Was it based off of players' like strokes gained, their strengths in their game, and matching different th- aspects? Well, to be completely honest, we're kind of uh, 
we've been requested not to delve too deep into how the details work. Okay. But basically it's using all the above data, all the data available to us to make better decisions, to pick the team. Like um, there was constant kind of models, if you like, about who should get picked in the captain's picks all year, even before anything was done. You know what I mean? And then during the week, how our pairings would be, how, who, who would match with who really well and, and, and how to just do that. It just uses all the, it just uses more. I mean, traditionally you've done that with information. You've done it. Oh, those two guys are good personality and they both use a title. Let's let them go play. Right. So you're using information available to you. This is just drawing from a bigger pool of information. Yeah. I don't really understand how they got to where they got, but that's, that's basically what they do. And yes, stats are a part of that. And but there's a, it's, it's quite a lot. There's a lot into it. And look, um, when we went, uh, without saying how we like the secrets to the thing, they're not any secrets, but, um, we went into the pairing thing with plan each time there was a plan. And that was the first time I'd ever been involved where that was like that. Yeah. It, it seemed like, yeah, I was, I was thinking about, especially with alternate shot, there's so much that goes into that putting two guys together and the skill sets and everybody always it, it it's like oh i remember the Ryder cup and was it hazeltine they put like dj and brooks together and it was like oh they're gonna be great and then they lost but it's like well it might be better to put somebody that's really good with wedges and putting with with dj obviously brooks and dj are great at everything but you put somebody that's got a little bit different skill set with them and that might help you know more so than you know, putting two guys that are very similar together. Well, yeah, all that was going on was a very educated version of what exactly what you said, like who matches up, who really does match up with who and who do they match up against really well too. So um, it's all, that's all it really is. But how they get to all that, um, I think is a lot of numbers and a lot of thought, a lot of thinking and a lot of different information and they get to where they get to. So um, pretty cool. So the star, uh, star, you know, was the golf course. Royal Melbourne. Yeah. I think everybody in the U.S. was just going gaga for it that hadn't seen it in in any sort of you know com- competitive. And I think even more so than 2011. I think it, part of it's the just the way the internet works now compared to then. But I'm curious as somebody that's grown up playing there, you know, watching this event, was there something that stood out to you that you kind of were like wow and you gained you gained an appreciation even though you knew it knew the course so well going into it it never ceases i mean i've known it since i was i could walk basically i grew up right next door i i used to play the public course next door and then go and watch all the tournaments in the 80s and then i was a caddy there so i could play there after four o'clock in summer and stuff i mean i've played there forever it never ceases to amaze me how well it handles great golfers you know and what and the questions that asks them and how much it confuses them i mean if we played that course set up like that every week the standard of golf in the world for professionals would be higher 100 percent people would be better because it was so evident when you watched i mean it was a platform for tiger to show he was the best and he was by so far and away the best player at that tournament it was incredible i mean no one was getting close to him out there because he just knew how to play the course and you could see it it lights him up we play so many courses that 
just don't light you up. You can pull your, you could say in breakfast room, you're going to hit 14 drivers. You know I mean? It just doesn't change every day. It's the same. And there's nothing wrong with that. And the PJ tour is great and the product is cool, but Royal Melbourne, um, it makes you, it forces you into uh, playing a better version of the game. I mean, it like was, you just have to. It was amazing. The first hole was like, it right off the bat, it just showed it showed you that this place is going to be different because all of a sudden guys are hitting it. I mean, the first day when the pin was over on the right and guys were bashing drivers up up and they would get on the right side and it's just like you can't keep this. You know, it, it's a beautiful thing when you're in short grass, twenty yards away, and. You, there, you're watching it and you're like, this guy has no chance to hit this on the green if he hits it at the flag, you know? Yeah, it's the 350-yard hole, the 360-yard hole, and half the guys are getting there saying, I just hit driver at the green, right? I just hit driver at the green. I'm like, well, I don't know. Play it a few times first. And it's, I mean, yeah, as you say, the first hole, there's there's probably better holes there. But as a as an opening hole, the fairway's 60 yards wide, but it really matters where you are. And it's not just a it's a, it's not just a left and right matter. It's a long and short matter too. Some days you want to hit driver and hit it deep and almost pin high and chip across. And other days you want to hit three iron up the left and like it's, and that's all about moving the pin and stuff. We don't have that very often. I mean, we get it at the masters and you'll get it when you go to Shinnecock and stuff like that and Oakmont, but generally we don't have that sort of stuff. It's like the questions that tenant Riv asks you 18 times in a row, different version, you know, um, it asks you to hit great shots. If you don't move the ball both ways and you don't understand that under the hole is premium, you're going to have a hard time at Royal Melbourne. And that was, it really was kind of interesting. And the older the guy there, or the more golf the guy had played, the better he seemed to handle it. You know, the more the, the patience was there. What I, it seemed to me that you guys had a huge advantage, especially the first two days with the, with the course where, your team, you know, Tiger kind of took a very lax approach and said, you know, these guys are pros, they'll figure it out. And it seemed like the international team was much more, you know, we're going to play it this way and this way and this way. And the first two days, it it took the U.S. team a little while to get acclimated to the, the speed and the firmness of the course and understanding that closer wasn't always better. But did did you feel that way going into that? you guys had this this home course advantage in a way? Yeah, I thought we had a chance. I mean, obviously Tiger is Tiger and he clearly understands how to play a course like that as well as anybody ever has. So he, I, we figured he would school his guys up a bit. But I mean, I obviously know the course very well. Ernie's won there two or three times. He shot 60 there once. Um, Scotty's played there a lot. So we, we figured we had a bit of a chance and we kind of, there's probably six or seven greens um, on that course that there's just a good spot. There's just certain places you can't miss it and certain places you have to be, like kind of wedges, like areas. Like you just got to be short right of any pin on this green or you've got to be like somewhere left of this pin anywhere. And there's about six or seven holes that if you don't do that, you've just got no chance. And so we thought we had an ability to kind of school them up on a few of those sort of things and, and just make sure they didn't because you can lose a match play hole by just hitting missing the green in the wrong bunker, you know, because then the other guy can hit it wherever he wants because you can get it up and down from 30 yards to the right of some pins, but not from anywhere left of some pins. And um, it's just an interesting course like that. So yeah, we, I feel like we had an advantage 
to begin with. Um, but when you're talking about kind of 12 of the top 20 guys in the world that you're playing against, they learn very quick. I mean, professional golfers are one of the skills of being a professional golfer is learning a golf course quickly. You know, that we do that every week. You just turn up on Monday and look by Thursday, you got to know it, right? Um, it's a skill that everybody polishes pretty regularly. So they were always going to catch up pretty mm -hmm. fast, especially quality like Xander, and Patrick and JT. And I mean, JT played so good. Yeah, he did. Um, Dustin, I mean, Dustin, they can, people can talk about Dustin's maybe like lack of deep thinking ability, but I'll tell you what, he played that course so smart and he played Tong Lee on Sunday and he just, 20 feet, 30 feet under the hole. He played such a smart round of golf that that guy knows how to get around a golf course as well as anybody. Very I, impressive. I heard this and I don't know, this is, you know, complete rumor, unsubstantiated rumor, but I heard that Adidas did this testing of athletes. You know, they tested all their athletes from like Kobe Bryant and from like a athlete IQ standpoint, DJ was like off the charts. Which I kind uh, I kind of like. You don't get to number one in the world if you don't have something, right? No, it always frustrates me when the boys on tour kind of have that line of thinking. Oh, he's just lucky because he doesn't know what he's doing. Like so false, it's not even close. And what I saw at Royal Melbourne just completely like put it home is that this guy knows what he's doing. Like he played so smart, he recognized really quick that How Tong was a bit out of his comfort zone. Um, he was a bit out of his comfort zone that week. It's, it was a tough deal for him, but he's an unbelievable player, and I'm sure he'll be back. But um, Dustin, he recognized really early what was going to win the match was playing really smart, and he just hit it to 30 feet under the hole. He never hit it above the hole. He never like, hit drivers when he shouldn't. Like It was just a really, really Jack Nicklaus-style golf. You know, I'm just going to wait for this guy to beat himself a little bit. And it was like, wow, this guy at Royal Melbourne, which is quite hard to do, it was really impressive. Um, yeah. Dustin wait. is... There's more there than meets the eye. I think he just doesn't do well in like interviews, which is, you know, that's fine. You know, there are a lot of people in the history of sports that weren't great interviews that were great players. And I think he has that innate knowledge. I mean, you and I like break stuff down into a million pieces. And like, sometimes I don't think that's constructive to play golf. All you need to know is I just want to be over there. So I'm just going to hit it over there. Well, I think about how I hit it over there. Let's just hit it over there. And there's, there's, there's a level of intelligence in not, going into it yes you know what i mean yeah it's kind of because everybody knows when you go into the details of golf you just get stuck he's on some level smart enough to not do that and to just say you know i know what i'm doing why mess with it i'm just going to do this that's um yeah brilliant anyway but that's what royal melbourne does it, it exposes weakness and it shows and it exposes strength you know it, it it does all it magnifies all of your uh golf skills mental and physical that's why it's a i mean that's why great courses are important because it, it makes us better and it magnifies the things that you're good at and the things that you're bad at so it exposes your weaknesses and shows your strengths um great golf courses do that whereas i think sometimes when golf courses get a little bit kind of black and white and narrow and vanilla and a bit soft then it's just purely a golf swing contest and a putting contest is less of a craft you know mm -hmm. and royal melbourne's a craft to get it around and guys like Dustin and Tiger just showed that in spades. It was so obvious that they had an advantage there because of their ability at their craft. Yeah, it, I mean, and it was just like, okay, if you came, if you catch it on the toe, it's going over the green because of that just touch of hook spin. And then Tiger 
it was like, oh well, I'm gonna hit a little little fade in into that pin so that it stops a little. It's just like that little difference, especially at the highest level, is is everything really. You know, that's more depth. You know, there's more depth to the challenge. It's not just hit a great shot that direction. Just hit a great shot, but it's got to have this spin. And it's got to be at this flight, and it's got to land right here. You know, there's there's way more to it than just one dimension. So, um, it, not that golf is one dimensional, but it 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 just magnifies everything. Say say there was like a say say uh, there was a sand belt swing. You know, on tour, what you mentioned how the level of golf would be higher. If they play, if you played week in week out, would you expect, you know, a different, some different types of players to get up to the top ten? I mean, we're starting to get to a point where the top ten players have very similar skill sets. Would you expect to see more variety, or would it be the same ten players? I think it would give it would give that. Uh, well, I think in the future, the kind of Zach Johnson. Kevin Kisner style golfer, not any against them. They're maximizing what they have, but that guy, he would have more of a chance on the sand belt than he does at Bethpage Black or Torrey Pine South or Firestone or something. But um, I still think the top 10, I mean, they all showed themselves pretty amazing. Length is still an advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, length is still an advantage and strength still gives you an advantage in hitting different shots and stuff. So I still think it would be similar because they are pretty classy, that top 10, but it would give other guys a chance. You know, the Jim Fury could, Jim Fury's career would have been better if we'd played. And it's his career is one of the best careers of all time. His career would have been better if we'd played Royal Melbourne every week, certainly. Um, because it's, it, it gives him a chance to kind of his guys like that, the Corey Pavins, the Jim Furyks, the Zach Johnson's, the guys who really, have had to know how to get around a course because they didn't quite have the big weapon that other guys did. So that skill is for them is better. They would be looked after. But look, the top 10 in the world now, they're so yeah. good, these guys. I mean, it's like Rory is like, oh my God, I got a player as him. And then you're like, oh, well, look at Brooks. Oh my God, I got a player as him. And then Dustin is like, seriously, like if Dustin's the third best golfer in the world, he's not even John Rahm. I mean, he's the third best golfer. Well, these guys are so good. It's incredible. Xander is incredibly good you know i mean it's dustin jt we haven't talked about him he probably played the best there outside tiger i mean it's a it's in a real sweet spot golf at the high end for how good these guys are yeah they even impress us you know even tour guys are impressed by these guys and we're hard to impress it's fine i've been doing i've been looking at numbers uh these strokes gain numbers i've i combined um around the green and on the green so putting strokes game putting and around the green into one stat for like the uh-huh. since Shotlink came around, because then you can you know your the aggregate of those two stats can be close to what you know the leader in strokes gained approach or driving is you know, um, so it, there's only like five guys that have had a season where they they have their their average of their ranks across those statistics have been in single digits and it's like Tiger. Spieth, DJ, um, uh, Rory, and then like JT's very, very close, but nobody else has done like where they're they're If you average out their three ranks on tour, it's in the single digits. And it's kind of crazy. Cause we, you talk about tiger. It's like tiger showed he's the best player in the world. It's like, well, 
he's literally great at every single thing in golf. Like if you rank in the top 10 in the, in the, uh, on tour and one strokes gained category, you're great at that skill, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's oh, interesting. Yeah, it's incredible. And that never used to happen that quite often, I mean, historically golf, the ball striking prowess, that guy couldn't putt. Ben Hogan, Sam Snead, like a lot of these guys historically, um, like the Colin Montgomery's and the stripe shows, you know, the Adam Scott type thing um, that their outrageous ball strikers have often been just average putters, right? Mm-hmm. At best. Yeah. Uh, which has been enough. You know, Jack Nicholas was the freak who was the outlier. He was probably top in both, but like generally, and Tiger's an outlier too, but now they're all like that. Great ball strikers are great putters and have great short games. Their, their games are so complete. These top 10 or 15 guys, they're actually, there's a big separation. I feel like, um, not that anyone below them can't win, but that quality at the top is so good at the moment. Um, when I was growing up, it was, or when I just first got onto it, it was Tiger was, and then Daylight to second, you know, and there was Phil and Ernie and that, that kind of Sergio and that sweet spot just below it, but it was Daylight to Tiger. Now, I mean, Brooks has clearly probably been the best of the last two years, but Rory got played, Rory's just as good, you know, on his day and JT's won 12 times in a few years and, Justin Justin Rose too is like sneaky great at everything, you know. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's they're long, they're straight. They're, the long hitters are actually the straighter hitters now, which is crazy too, right? Long hit, long hitters are straight. Their irons crazy, and their short games are ridiculous. Like it's they're all complete golfers now. It's a great, as I said, it's a great patch for golf. It's obviously getting taught really well golf, um, and the Tiger effect. All these kids, these are, this is the effect of these kids what, growing up watching Tiger win the Masters, watch, winning 14 majors. These are the kids who were kids when it was happening, you know? Um, and that effect is really powerful too, I think. What, what were guys shooting, like, on their own ball out there, would you have guessed? You under was pretty good. Awesome's anything under was good. Uh, alternate shot. Alternate shot is obviously a really hard format. Anyone who's ever played it... Um, it's that format of guilt. You know, you always feel bad for like hitting your partner in a bunker or missing a part or you're carrying the weight of your partner the whole way around. So it's hard to be free. Um, Borsum's a couple under would have won pretty much every match, I think. Best ball's usually a bit lower, but they weren't going nuts. Like a good round, anything under par, in a stroke play event, it would have been anything under par, low double digits might have won. But see, 10 or 11 might have won and then eight would have been second and then five would have been third. You know, we would have been one of those score separating courses. It was, it was, I uh, made plenty of birdies, but there are plenty of bogeys too. It was amazing to be sitting, you know, from a cover standpoint, it was the least talked about par was for like, I can't even remember. And it's because of the match play effect, but it was so refreshing that like, you know, the, there were the all these drivable par fours, and nobody was talking about. Well, it's playing three point two for the day. It's like no, it's just like an unbelievably fun hole to watch somebody play. You know, it's nice to get par out of the talk, and it like just to yeah, you can hit driver and get it near the green if you want, or you can hit iron or whatever. It doesn't matter what score you have, but it's just a fun hole to watch and a fun hole to play. Yeah, it's nice to have par less talked about. Yeah, it's um, what who was a player that like stood out to you that you didn't didn't know was as good as as they were Sung J.M. is gonna be is the most outrageously good player i've ever seen um 
and I hadn't even mentioned him in that top 10 guy, but he's inevitably going to be there really soon. He, it's, he doesn't miss a shot if, and he was learning. He's, he's never seen a golf course like that. Really. I don't think playing like that at least. And, uh, he would just follow instructions, hit it, hit it at that right there, five yards right of the bunker over there. And he would just hit it five yards right of the bunker over there. All right, hit driver over the edge of that bunker. And he would hit driver over the edge of that bunker. Like hit wedge to 12 feet over there and he would hit wedge to 12 feet. All right, this putt breaks from a foot left to right and he would just go bang in. Like he doesn't miss a shot at all. Um, it's a long, his short game's great. He's got a great attitude. He's always smiling and happy. Like Sung J M and our whole team, Ernie Ellis is shaking his head. Our whole team is shaking their head. All the Americans are coming over going, oh my God, how good is this Sung JM? I never really even gave him that credit. Like he is the real deal. Like he is the, the, the best thing. player, the best, like as far as the package, he's the best package I've seen come out of Korea easily. Incredible. The, uh, he plays every single week too. He, I heard he doesn't even have a house in America yet. 35 weeks. Yeah, he doesn't have a house. So why are you playing golf this week? Oh, oh if I'm going to be at a hotel, I might as well be at a golf tournament. Yeah. <laughs> and he played He played 38 tournaments. He played 31 of those. He played Monday Pro-Ams. So he plays Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays. He plays seven days a week. It's a seven-day week for him. You know, to, it's, uh, to be 20 years old, you know? <laughs> right. And to love golf that much. Like, um, no, he's an incredible player. That's um, Neiman, obviously on our team, Neiman's the real deal. He's, uh, he's got that Latin flair and smashes it. And he had some great shots for a while, Melbourne. Um, I'm going to miss guys, but yeah, Sungjae, he's a standout. It, Neiman seems to me like a guy that could be really, really great too. Cause it's like, he, he, when you look at his stats, it's like, okay, he's got the ball striking and it's just a matter of learning, learning how to play around the greens, you know? Yeah. He's. And he's only 22, right? I think you he's know, 20. Um, that's what I mean, 20 as well. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. He's, oh, uh, yeah, 20. Yeah, because yeah. Sanjay is 22. Um, it's, uh, yeah, he's good. I mean, they're good. They're just good younger. They've just got more belief, I think. And, um, yeah, Neiman's, he's got that Latin, that kind of flair, you know. Sanjay is more of like a machine, you know. Neiman's... Waco is going to give you some mistakes, but he's going to give you some really cool stuff too, you know, and that's somewhat sometimes more interesting to watch than a guy who never misses a shot. But as far as like being impressed by golfers um, across the board, our team and most of the U S team and anyone who watched him up close, Sungjae is very good. Now for a quick word from our sponsor, greater than there's nothing worse than getting out on the golf course and being a little dehydrated. It could come from a lot of factors. You know, you could not have drank enough water or, you know, sports drinks for a given day. It could be really hot and uh, you could be drinking a ton of water and you'd still get dehydrated. Or it could be that you got a little overserved the night before. But thankfully, there's a great recipe to cure that dehydration. Greater than. It's a coconut water based sports drink. Um, it packs. Quite the punch. It's got two times electrolytes with half the calories of your typical of the leading sports drinks, and it has no added sugars. So this thing's the best way to hydrate. It's the most healthy way to hydrate, and you'll be playing better golf because of it. So you can get greater than at drinkgt.com, and you can use the promo code FRIEDEGG20, all capitals, FRIEDEGG20 at drinkgt.com for 20% off your first order. Now back to Jeff Ogilvie. Um, what, uh, 
So Ernie talked a little bit afterwards about like the uh, the autonomous nature of the Ryder Cup, how the European team and the U.S. team operate, you know, separately of the PGA putting on the event, and how he hopes that the international team could operate that way from the PGA Tour who puts on the event. What did he? It, it, is do you? I guess like what behind that? Like what constricts you with the PGA Tour running the event as a as a team? Well, as far as the restrictions, I mean, Ernie would I would probably be able to. You'll have to get him on here and talk about like the actual like that roadblocks he ran into. But basically, the when the the Ryder Cup is uh, it's a kind of a team event between like a team up between the PGA of America and the European Tour, right? So I think when it's in Europe, Europe kind of grabs the ball, and the Europeans kind of organize their own stuff and it's in america the the u.s guys get to do it but the president's cup is basically a pga tour event just like charlotte and like la and like you know colonial and i mean it's a pga tour event so the whole thing is run under that umbrella and basically all the kind of rules and the way it's going to go down um is under the pga tour umbrella so you kind of have to play inside that you have to drive inside that lane. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Lacoste deal, it's a brilliant deal, but both teams wear Lacoste. No, that was just decided at Ponte Vedra Beach, all of a sudden, President's Cup, this is your clothes and this is what you're doing and this is where you're staying and this is, you just kind of get dictated down the road. And it's, look, it's, they don't do it poorly. They do it really nicely. As I said, it's one of the most incredible, like kind of attention to detail events there is. But, you kind of get told what to do the whole time, you know, and it's still, and that might be okay for the U S team because it's a U.S. company, the PGA tour running it. But for the international team, I think sometimes I think it's been felt that it's a bit biased against the U S team, just because of the rules against the international team, because of the rules it sits under. Now, Ernie would t- would sp- tell you about specific roadblocks. Maybe he ran into. I'm not sure. And it's happened with every captain I've had. It's just you kind of just get told what to do and when to show up and how it's going to be. And that's how it's going to be. You know, you have just less control over a few decisions that I think might be there in the Ryder Cup. Did you guys get to uh, set up the course? No, no stuff like that. No, we don't get to set up the course. We don't get to um, talk about pin positions or uh, any of that sort of stuff really you don't you know yeah you don't get a choice on where you stay how like how anything is really um and look as i said at the start it's a great event and it's done really well but i think down the road for the international team to maybe get a bit more of an identity and be more because it is 12 guys from however many different countries um it's harder to be a team and i think if the structure of the event just it's of individuals turning up and trying to form a team that week as opposed to being a team you know whereas the europeans they're european Ryder cup players they're, they're, they're part of the team when they're a year out of the Ryder cup you know what i mean it just feels that way a little bit um so yeah there's stuff behind the scene but it's a pga tour event and that's how it's going to be and it would be a control issue from ponavedra and you know we they they uh obviously like having control of that event so We'll see down the road if we can, if the international team can get a little bit more independence, you know, make a few more of the decisions um, to 
help out the team. We'll see. Yeah. It'd be cool if you got to set up Royal Melbourne the way you wanted to. It would have been probably a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. It would have been fun to be involved. I wouldn't have done it much different than Richard did it. I mean, there's a couple of pins maybe that would have been fun to maybe uh, try to get out there. And there's some real kind of sneaky local knowledge ones that you don't that no one would have known about, um, which would have been kind of fun. But uh, no, look, it's 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 a nuts event. I mean, anyone. I don't know as a spectator, like when you're there, those team events, Presidents Cup and the Ryder Cup. Um, if you love atmosphere, they're brilliant. But if you love seeing golf shots, yeah. I don't know because there's only three or four holes that the whole the whole tournament's on three or four holes, and there's forty thousand people on three or four holes. I mean, it doesn't bode well for you seeing every shot. And there's fifty people inside the ropes in every group too. Yeah, that's. I went to the uh, the Medina Ryder Cup, and uh-huh. you know, I was just a, just as a spectator, and it it was like the worst. I sat on that uh, drivable par four fifteen. <laughs> All day. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I you know we're we had great spot, but then everybody laid up both sessions of the day, and it was just like it's like, man, we just watched like basically you know twelve wedge shots. That was, twelve wedges. That was yeah. Day. I mean, so as far as watching golf shots, I don't think it's what you do it for, but for the atmosphere, the atmosphere it creates. I mean, we don't see the Australians. Everyone I've seen since, they're like, what was that all about? We've never seen if golf was like that. I'd go there every week. Yeah. You know, because it's so amazing the feeling in the air and the first tee and like when someone starts when you, that wind up the day builds and it builds and it builds and all of a sudden when it's the result of the day is coming down and there's three matches left and they're all one of them's one up and one of them's one down and one of them's square and they're all kind of at the end and guys are holding big putts and fist pumps and stuff i mean there's nothing like it in golf at all it's like watching the last hole of a golf tournament 20 times and you get that in 20 times in a day, you know, cause you get all this pressure and fist pumps and excitement and disappointment and you get it all in one spot. So atmosphere wise, they're outrageous, those tournaments. Um, and on TV, I think they're really great too. Uh, yeah, they're incredible event. I mean, for some reason it makes me like pine for a bit more team golf. Maybe not, it doesn't even have to be international, but like the new Orleans thing, like the, a kind of partnership thing or maybe teams of four. I think there's room in golf for more team stuff because I think people would get the atmosphere gets better when there's when you're not just rooting for an individual, you're doing it for multiple, you know. Yeah, it's well really it's because like people pick sides like and I know there are like I know there are a lot of American golf fans that were rooting for the international team for various reasons, you know. Like the the underdog story was one, but like I just generally like personally felt the international team was more likable on many, you know, a lot of the, I like a lot of the players on the international team more than I like the American players. And for whatever reason, so I was rooting for the internationals and it was like, it was just a fun event because you, you pick a side and you're, you're a fan, you know, it's like, it's really hard to be a fan of one PGA tour player. Like nobody's like going out and buying, like, you know, I'm going to go buy Justin Thomas, uh, polo outfit so i can look like jt on the course like i know kids do it a little bit with ricky but like that doesn't happen with adults like in football like people wear their bears bears uniforms around town on game because they're fans of the team you know it's really hard to get behind one individual right oh yeah 100 percent. i think i mean i think there's room for it i mean um it's so amazing when you have team stuff it's just the atmosphere and the camaraderie and everything it's better for the player i think it's it's it is. It's better for the player and it's better for the fan. Sometimes I think they should consider 
more team style golf because I think it's great. I think it's brilliant. What about the? I think the thing that the president President's Cup hit for the Americans was like the time it was on, the when it was on. Like you know, it was like the perfect time of year. Everybody's holed up inside, and it came on at night. It's like a great event series would be like a sandbelt team, like a month where you had like one day events, team events where you had teams of four and they played, you know, you know, JT's teams playing Rory's team at Kingston Heath today, you know? Yeah. Can you imagine? That would be fantastic. Yeah. The Australian time zone, that West time zone works for America. Doesn't it? When you go West, they'll be like the Hawaii is always great in it. Mm -hmm. Um, in Australia. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. It's just it just feels better when you're at these team events. It just wow, it just elevates it just elevates the competition or something, and, and it makes guys play better. The the, the standard goes up, um, the, the the emotion goes up, and the atmosphere and it's uh we're individual. We all chose golf because we like being on our own, right? I mean, I I remember really enjoying the fact that I could go play golf by myself if I couldn't find a friend to you need a friend to throw a ball, you know, or kick a ball or play. I mean, you can shoot basketball a little bit by yourself, but at some point it kind of gets a bit boring, right? But golf, you can do it by yourself. You can do it with two people, four people. You can have 12 friends down the range. You can, you can do it with any number of people, but we're all individuals and that's why I think we do it. But it, the team things, everyone across the board, well, most guys that you ever talk to and get involved with in these events, that's their favorite weeks of their career are these ones. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, and the the ratings have to prove it out. I mean, like the Ryder Cup, people are really interested, and I think that's part of the, like the the skins game in the match. There's a little bit more casual interest in that stuff than necessarily the you know the FedEx St Jude. Like it, there's you know people like my casual buddies were like, who won the match? I remember right after the match because I went out to met him at a bar. You know, these guys know nothing about golf. They aren't asking me who won the FedEx St. Jude. No, yeah. I think it's just the market's been a little bit flooded on 72-hole stroke play. You know, I just think there's a lot of it. There's 45 weeks a year where on the weekend or something, there's European in the morning and US in the afternoon, you know. It's like it's just 72-hole stroke play, 72-hole stroke play, 72-hole stroke play. And it's great, but if it's on every week, you don't need to watch it all the time. You know, the Ryder Cup's only on every two years. You have to watch it, you know. The Masters is once a year. You have to watch it, like. I think varying formats like the match or like a little team thing or New Orleans or just, just a bit of an expansion on just the 72 hour stroke play thing might create more things to more can't miss tournaments, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I agree. Um, so, Hey, I, I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, you played the, the Link soul wishbone brawl yeah. with persimmon. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you, you had a whole one to to end it, which was unbelievable. But uh, it was an unbelievable thing. I mean, like, like everything that John Ashworth gets involved with, it was just cool. You know, um, the guy's certainly got the spirit of golf, you know, in him. And for someone like me, it's just uh, he's just a brilliant guy to ever hang out with when it comes to golf. But so the Goat Hill thing, I'm sure most of your Listeners know the goat hole story, but he basically saved Oceanside Municipal from being developed into something, condos or warehouses or something, um, got the community and got them together 
saved Goat Hill, which is it's affectionately known because it's on the side of a hill. Um, and he's had a couple of events the last couple of years, and the wishbone, the one he does in uh, Thanksgiving, that's the wishbone um, because of the turkey thing. It's uh, it's to raise money for junior golf. And so the last couple, of, it's like a real casual kind of almost barefoot or flip flops shirt out persimmon wood kind of deal um, with four tour guys or four tour current and ex guys. And so the last couple of years, it's been Hoffman and Dean Wilson and Mike Weir's played and Shoffley's played, um, Chris Riley. But this year it was me and Riley versus Dean Wilson and Xander Shoffley. And it's just an 18 hole kind of exhibition, the kind of somewhat serious, semi serious, me and Riley against those two. Um, and we play out in holes and we play really fast and we'd come down and Riles and I were in front all day. I mean, Chris Riley is still the best putter I know and he hasn't been on tour for a few years, but he makes everything. It's incredible. Um, He's college coach now, right? He is. Yeah. In San Diego. Yeah. yeah. And loving it. It's a perfect, I mean, if you're a kid um, or you were a parent either way and Chris Riley was your coach, um, you're happy. Like what a legend of a guy, you know, he's just like one of the kids, you know, he's just, it'd be so fun to hang out with all the time. Um, but anyway, we were in front. We were one up going down the last, and Dean Wilson makes a good birdie to get us to go to extra holes, ties it up. So we go to nine, which is a 130-yard par three down into this kind of big amphitheater. Um, you've been there, right, Goat Hill? I haven't been yet. Go. Okay. Um, it's down this massive amphitheater. It's like naturally uh, a place where no one's ever there. But if you were going to have big tournaments there, a crowd would gather there because it's just a great place to sit. And so there's, I don't know, thousand people, fifteen hundred people, I don't know, two thousand people. There's a ton of people around the last green and we all go there and Dean hits it about fifteen feet behind the hole, ten feet, a pretty good shot. Xander hits a great shot, but lands next to the hole and spins it off the green, like down the front. And so he's not in a very good spot. And then I just go whoosh and it just flies straight in the hole. Um and so it was like a walk off hole in one. And it was like one of those surreal kind of really? Did that just happen? Did that actually go in? <laughs> And at the green, and it was one of those slam dunks that made that big noise, you know, like it just goes (laughs) into the hole, just massive crack. And you heard it from the tee. And at the green, there was this two seconds of like nothing. And then they just go ballistic, right? It was like ride a cup at um, Brookline. They're all on the green and like they're dancing and jumping around and screaming. And they went on for 15 minutes. It didn't stop. It was like my version of Tiger at Phoenix in 97. (laughs) It was just. It's it was an amazing be, situation. Got to be like in the. I, obviously, you've had like an incredible career of accomplishments in golf, but it it's got to be one of the more memorable golf uh, moments. It's probably the it's probably the coolest thing. You know, I mean, there's been some amazing things, obviously, and great moments, but it was so cool how happy everyone was, and of those, however many people were behind the 18th green, um, 150 of them were kids. You know. Oh. They, I remember when I was a kid, when I first saw my first hole in one, I just went nuts. And I just saw like an old guy have one, like bumper five on along the ground and go in. And I thought it was the best thing I'd ever seen. Right? <laughs> this was like to a guy holding it, slam dunk with a big crowd that went nuts. I mean, the kids, it was just the best scene. It was just an incredible, uh, an incredible kind of situation. And everyone there just loves Goat Hill and loves the, what, what Ash and Link's hole have done there. And, just kind of uh it's just a really good vibe and then it just it just made it a really special day yeah so the memories there i'm never going to forget that one that was um 
and it was my first hole in one for like six or seven years too so that was pretty exciting <laughs> that's uh yeah hole one has like is it's whenever you're around one it's just the most incredible feeling even if it's not yours like it's just crazy like you said old guy got one though it's like you go nuts it's just the natural it's it's just such a crazy shot and it was one of my only it was one of my only probably my only little viral situation because like there was 50 people there and they all got videos from different perspective right (laughs) Um, because everyone films everything now so there was all these little instagrams that popped up everywhere and like i had people messaging me from all over the place about it like it was um crazy it's good but no one you don't so there's it's that kind of the footage probably shows you what it was like to be there it's not like that um footage you see on the tv with the perfectly framed golfer on the tee and like the ball getting followed all the way and it going in this is just like people were like sticking a phone between two other people's heads at the green (laughs) and you hear the noise and everyone's dancing around their cameras i mean just the footage was so it makes you feel like you're there a little bit. It was just a crazy situation. It was really fun. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was fun to watch. I, uh, it, it was, it was neat. Um, what was it like playing the match with the persimmon driver? It's fun. It's, it's, it's appropriate for Goat Hill because Goat Hill is very short. Like, it, I don't know what it's 5,000 yards or something. It's mostly par threes and short par fours. There's one par five, but, and it's, like there's some funky little dog legs and corners to hit over and stuff. So um, it's, I mean, at first you're like, you hit your first couple. It's like, I mean, I hit them somewhat regularly, but if it always takes you by surprise how small they are and how um, unforgiving they are, hit one out in the toe and it just shrimps off to the left or you hit one out of the heel and it goes absolutely nowhere and cuts out to the right. Um, they're quite heavy and you've got to swing them a bit sort of slower and wait for them a little bit. It's a different style of, Driving becomes more like you're just trying to fit it in there. You know, you're trying to kind of almost bunt it around a little bit just to manage the driver. It's, and then the fairway woods are so much fun. Um, great fun. It's, it's, um, I like my modern driver because it's fun to smash it, but it's when you get on the right course with those persimmons, they're just as much fun because it's a, just a different style test. Um, and when your driver would go too far, like it would at Goat Hill for us, it's just, it's just that perfect little antidote, right? Because you can hit them a long way. Like Xander yeah. hit a couple and he popped at miles. You can hit them a long way when you hit them, but the risk you take in actually smashing at it is hitting it sideways, you know, or hitting it nowhere. Um, it's just, a, it's a, for a place like that, for guys like us, it's really, it just makes it just a little bit more fun. I think it was brilliant. It was great. I think uh, I would certainly, um, on the right course, for, for, especially for people who like kind of know how to hit it, like, and they can hit driver and all that. And they, they wanted something different. If they went to a place like that to just try it one day, you can buy them off eBay for nothing. Um, and just hit it. It's, um, it's good fun. It's really good fun. Yeah. I played, uh, Zach Blair and I did this trip and we played Northwood, which is like this, uh, old Mackenzie, nine holer it's in the redwoods up north of san francisco i mean these redwoods are insane how big they are but it's only like 2900 yards so and we were playing on this cool morning and we played with a hickory off the tee and we played modern everywhere else but i mean but it just like we're hitting it like 220 
I mean, because it was because it was so cold and damp, and then the hickory was not, you know, it's the ball just wasn't going anywhere. But it made the course because, like, you wouldn't be able to play that golf course with a modern driver because you'd be hitting it into the trees all the time. And it was yeah. like, God, this makes so much more sense to play with this because it's it's actually it makes it more it, it in a way it makes it more fun, you know. Well, I think variety is the spice of life, right? I mean, um, it's just good to have different. I wouldn't ever get them out if I went to play Beth Page or Tory South <laughs> no. or something like that. It would be it, it would be no fun at all. It would be completely miserable to play with a wood. But then you go somewhere kind of short and kind of funky, and I think some of that some of those like a North Berwick or something, one of those linksy kind of places that are short, lots of run. Those sort of places would be brilliant for it, you know, because they seem to suit. I mean, that was the clubs when some of these places were built. You know, like yeah. McKenzie courses and um, some of these places. It's there's room for both. You know, maybe the high end of the game and like everybody wants to play their serious. You can have your serious golf, but every now and then, it's 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 like an electric guitarist playing a uh, playing acoustic every now and then. Grab mm-hmm. a ukulele, do something different. And this is fun. You know, this is just different. Like, you just there's more to golf than just the one lane that sometimes we sit in, and I I forget it too. Um, and every, every now and then I jump outside and just do something like that. I'm like, you know, that's, I don't want to do that every day, but that's great fun. Like, I really like that. That was, yeah, I did. I had another, I played, uh, I played national, uh, uh, golf links with, with like three guys that were like, they're like 10 to 15 handicaps. But you know, when you play national, you hit a lot of wedges because of the, just the nature of the game with the driver. And I played the member tees, and I had uh, I had the Yale golf coach had given me a bunch of baladas, brand new out of the box baladas, and I played like Hickory Driver with baladas at National. But the most amazing thing about it was that, you know, usually if I played the same tees as these guys, we, I'd be eighty yards ahead of them, you know, and getting ready for shots when they were like hitting their shots. And we were all hitting from the exact same spot, and I couldn't believe how much I wore out my long irons. It was like I was like, "Wow, this golf hole is really, really hard." And it's usually a hole that I would hit a wedge into. That's so fun. So you see a diff- You see that hole a little bit like other people see that hole. Yeah, you know, exactly. You, you can normally hit, and, and you maybe get a little appreciation for like a little bit of area in golf you hadn't had before. Like it's just a. It's not not just about the persimmon, but different stuff. Yeah, get the old bladder out or. Um, try hickory golf. I mean, there's a whole hickory tour there, like a kind of kind of nutcases at this point. You know, they're like vinyl record people, but like they they travel around the world and they play little hickory tournaments and stuff. Yeah. I mean, they sure. all play normal golf too. They play normal golf too, or like modern golf. But it's just another it's like driving a stick shift car. You know, it's like driving a vintage car. I mean, it's nowhere near as good as a new car, but there's something about it. You know, it's, yeah. it's kind of and every driver is different. You know, and you, you get out, we were all there and Link Soul has done a good um, collaboration with uh, Nat, Simon. Uh, mate. What is it? Louisville, right? Lu- with Louisville, yeah. So um, they've uh, got some really nice ones and there was a couple of different ones that all the four of us had. And like, you kind of, we're comparing the grain on the wood and I had the light ones and Xander might have had the dark ones and we're comparing the grips and, oh, this shaft feels pretty, and every club feels completely different. And you got to learn each one. And there's something, it's so nice that we have them all so perfect now. You know, you just, <laughs> hey, Tyler's done it and you one of these, and it comes and it's perfect, right? Every time. Like, that's really good for what we do. But um, 
there's something really cool about everything being a little bit different. You know, oh, you got the good one. Look at the little grain on that one and look at the paint job. And like, um, you find yourself kind of rubbing it and cleaning it after every shot and making you really gingerly put your head cover on because you don't want to like scuff it and stuff. It's like, it's something, uh, there's certainly a side to it that's like, like a bit more organic and natural. And um, yeah, it was great fun. It's brilliant. Yeah. And they sound so different. Like it's the surprise at impact. Like it's, you always get taken aback by like the sound difference when you're so used to this like bang you go to driving range these days and all you hear is like titanium hitting hard balls right and this is just like this kind of clunk of wood it's just such a different noise and then when like someone like xander actually cracked one it like makes that noise you know it's like and, and the feel up. when you when you, like because like what you were saying when you're like you kind of try and bunt them around a little bit and then, like when you feel when you're feeling good, and you you go at one and you hit it really good, that feeling is just because there's there's some there's risk there. There's like something more than just hitting smashing one with a big head. There's like there's an element of like I gotta hit this really good, and I'm I feel I'm feeling good about my swing, so I'm gonna go at it. You know, it's like the stars have to line up for you to hit a good one. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, it's it must be similar to like. Uh baseballers when they go from aluminum they go to the majors and they use wooden bats and like when you really flush one with a wooden bat it must feel really special you know yeah. way better than one off the end or in the hand and, yeah. and persimmons are the same like you, if you don't you go along your first 20 and you don't hit and you're just kind of like this what's wrong with this and then you actually hit one you hit one properly and you're like oh i get it now <laughs> now i get it i want to do that again you know <laughs> it takes you another 20 to do it again you know um yeah it's uh it's good fun yeah um so hey new de- new decade new decade, uh, new decade. Crazy. my father would argue that the decade starts at the one but we'll call it a decade the 20s ah, it's an interesting take i don't know if i agree with it well one's the beginning yeah. it's 10 the end or the start well technically this would be the first day wouldn't 10 be the very end You're- Right, one hundred percent right. This is definitely a new decade. <laughs> it's uh, what uh, which player wins the most majors this decade? Player wins the most majors. Um, Sung J M. Sung J M. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, would you, you? I don't know. It could. It it's could be player. Think... Player doesn't. We player. We aren't. We don't know of. Could be the answer. It's probably most likely to be a player we don't know of, right? Because Brooks is going to be in his 40s at the end of this decade, I think, isn't he? So he'll what's be, Brooks? I think he's 29, so he'll be 39. Okay. okay, so he's in his sweet 10 years too. So is Rory. JT's right um, in his sweet 10. JT could win a bunch. Um, it's probably not going to be Brooks or Rory to win the most, but it could be. Um Ram. Ram. It could be Ram. Ram. Well, it could easily be Ram. You're right. Ram's, what's he, 27 or something? And I think he's 25. 25, yeah. He's a machine. Yeah, let's say Ram. That's a good call, actually. As he's, I got him. I, I've been hyping him for the Masters. I think he's going to win the Masters this year. Um, all right. Who who spends most time at world number one? Um, Ram. No, we'll go someone different. Rory. I think Rory will spend. I think still think Rory's got 
he'll play well for five of the next 10 years. And when he plays well, he's right up there. It seems like he has recaptured interest. Like, I feel like he by you know, I think this is reasonable thing that could happen, and you pro- you can speak more to this, but, like, when you're playing professional golf, you can lose interest for a little while, and, you know, it, when you're at Rory's level, that's the difference between being the best and being fifth best, but where, you know, it, like any job, like, I have it with this job, like, sometimes I write, I'm a writing machine, sometimes I just can't do it, you know? It's a... It, mm-hmm. And I feel like Rory's like a little bit rejuvenated. Like he got, he's like, you know, he's past like the honeymoon phase of his marriage and he's really dedicated. Like this is his life, you know? I think he's, well, there's that, the way he came out, I mean, it was Tiger-like in a way, how rapidly he became like right up there. Right? He was winning straight away. Well, he, he struggled to win that first year. And once he started winning, he started winning everything and he won majors by miles and, um, Everybody on the range knew he was the best, you know, outside of Tiger when he was playing. I mean, Rory was the guy, right? I mean, he's just, you watch him hit balls and you just know after one shot that guy's the best here because he just hits it so well. And um, I think he, he seemed to gain a lot of perspective last year, you know. I mean, it's probably not easy to go from a normal person's amount of money to 100 million in five years. You know, that's, that's a rapid thing i mean his nike deal was massive i mean he's he's piled up a lot and i think goals and stuff can change at that point you know um because now now money is never an object for the rest of your life so was part of your motivation to go out there and be great was it to make money because if it was then that's going to go away because you don't need to make money anymore you know what i mean um as an example i think this year he or last year i should say he seemed to for the last couple of years gain that perspective and and he seems to be playing golf because he just loves playing golf. He doesn't seem to need it anymore. And I think when you don't need it and you just like it, you do it better. Yeah. You know, I think when those guys really need it, when Tiger looked like he needed it, that's when he really looked tense and struggling on the course. When he was young, he didn't need it. He just wanted it. And I think there's a difference between need and want. And I think Rory's in that kind of, I want to play really well and I love doing this, but I don't need it anymore. And I think that frees you up to play better. I think he's in a good spot, Rory. Plus. At the end of the day, however anybody goes about it, talent is a really big part of this equation. Um, you just can't beat talent at the end of the day. If you look at those top 10 guys in the world, they're obviously all very gifted physically. And that hasn't always been true, you know, of top 10. Some did it on their brain. Some did it on hard work. Some did it on other. But now it's it really is. You're not beating Dustin Brooks or Rory if you're not, or Justin or Ram, if you're not, like, supremely gifted, you know. And Rory is... From my, the evidence that I've seen, the most gifted. Um, he has the most tools. He has the most shots. He has the he has a like a feeling and a flair for golf that's uh, rare. You know? He's got a he's swagger a, too, you know. He's got that. He, he gets going and that walk, you know, where he's he just is he like that. Like you said, you watch him hit one shot of the range, but you could also walk out and you could see him walking down the fairway and everybody else walking down the fairway and be like, ah, oh, that guy's probably one of the best players in the world. Just by the way he walks. Yeah. yeah. Cause I think there's two, one, he knows he's great. Um, not in a, in a humble way too. Like there are some guys carry confidence. Well, he carries confidence better than anyone I've ever met. 
you know he's just like jack nicholas confidence you know he doesn't have to tell you how good he is because he just knows it so it's almost humble in a way you know um and he just looks like he's having so much fun you know like is there, is there a golfer when they're playing great looking like they're having more fun than him um it just i want to play like i want to be like that he just it, how fun is it to smash driver as hard as you can and go way under par and just, just playing the way he plays and looking the way he looks when he plays it just looks like he can do it for a really long time because it looks fun and stress-free. I, uh, I I always feel like I always say like I wish I could I could just feel like you know uh, LeBron feels going up for a dunk one time. It's uh, Rory's that way with the driver. Like the, when he gets that driver going and like it, it wouldn't matter if the fairway's ten yards wide, he's gonna just thread it. It's like that has mm. that is just watch watching Rory close up hit a driver's truly amazing yeah i think for any real true like golf junkie fan they need to while he's still where he's at need to go watch rory hit the long shots just to hear the sound and just see how free he is and um as i said to it before as i said before two players are hard to impress we kind of we pretend like we're not impressed by a lot of stuff and we've seen a lot so it takes we and there's good golfers everywhere, but every now and then there's someone comes along who's around the greens or whether it's their long game or whatever it is, or their mental game that really like impresses us across the board. A hundred percent. Everyone on tour, if you polled them, who's one of your favorites to hit balls and Rory would be pretty much at the top of everyone's list or watch play or play with or whatever. Cause he's just, he's just that guy, you know, he's just Jimi Hendrix. Hey, I got another guitar thing. He's just better than everyone else. I gotta ask you how how big is Bryson look in person? Massive. Like, what happened there? Like, what's he doing? It's like he was already big. I know. I remember, it was like three. It was like three years ago. I think we were in uh, that year. We played the Wells Fargo down in Charleston or somewhere or wherever it was down near the beach. That other course. I don't know if you remember, but. I was in Chipotle after Friday. Oh, um, you played at uh, Wilmington. Uh, what's it? The, yeah. the Fazio course. Uh, yeah, what's yeah, it yeah. called? Yeah. Um, that one. Anyway, and I just I was coming home and we're in Chipotle. Chipotle is a popular spot on tour when you have a late tea time and you're getting home at 7.30. And, I'm, and he's in the line behind me and he's telling me about all the, the, the he's, I'm putting all this mass in my, my lower half of my thing and I haven't increased my speed yet. Yeah, but he like, and he's always, he was always talking about bigger, stronger, and more speed. And this was three or four years ago. Um, and then he seemed to calm down on it a little bit and got more into other stuff. And he played really, really well there for yeah, a bit. Yeah, he and won a bunch. Like, and then this year, it's like, what was he coming out with just before Vegas tournament? He was coming out, so I'm going to put 30 pounds on in the off season. <laughs> it's all going to be this and that and the other. It's like, mate, you're already like 210. Like, he's, he, he looks like a linebacker. Like, he looks... It's he's gonna hurt himself, I think, because you know when people have that look like they've just got too much on their frame. Like, that's it, that's like when I was watching his, his swing that week. I was like, it doesn't look as good as it used to look. Like there's it, like it doesn't have the fluidity. It was always unique, but I mean, as the last sort of the first half of my career, I didn't care about golf swing at all. I just wanted to hit it, and I just and other people's all the technique. I just played the reason the last five or six or 10 years, I've been more into technique and I actually really like, or just interested in looking at other people's golf swings and how they do it. And I always liked his swing, even though it was really unique and his crazy upright clubs and all the same length. And 
when you talk to him about the golf sport, he really knew what he was talking about. And I really liked that he had his method and he knew it worked and he stuck to it, but he doesn't seem to be able to stick to it at the moment. You know, he just can't stop. He can't stop, as I said, like cutting it up into small pieces. And at some point, you cut it into so many small pieces, you just get paralyzed with all the information, right? Um, his swing isn't as smooth as it was before, but look, he's hyper talented. Um, but there's got to be a hint of vanity in putting that much weight on, doesn't there? Like a little bit, like because um, you're already hitting it. You're swinging it at one thirty, and you're hitting it three thirty or something. Like, I mean, how much more do you need? You know. I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of things. The, it it, it kind of goes against the one thing you said to me, I think it was off air once, was about the body types of of the guy, the longevity guys with the way their bodies were. And I, I ever since you said it, I can't stop thinking about it. And it seems like it's the opposite direction of that. Where like the big ways. If you look, yeah, historically the best swings and the best the longevity players ever. I mean, you go all the way back and this is pre gym, but if you just take an eye, kind of an over like high perspective on it and just see Bobby Jones was big in the middle, you know, kind of not big, massive shoulders and arms. He was big in the middle, like big legs between the knees and the rib cage, you know, Jack Nicholas, Lee Trevino, like these guys who pretty much went in their house, Sam Snead, Ben Hogan, they were small up top, big in the middle, like, cause the swing is kind of driven by the middle of the body. And I think this big arms, big shoulders, big thing is, um, it seems to be fraught with danger injury-wise and swing-wise, really. I think the best swings ever kind of, John Rahm is an atypical body. Oh, yeah. For this historically, I mean, it might not, like, we all want to look like Adam Scott or Brooks Koepka, right? But, or Rory McIlroy, but the longevity guys and the ones without real bad backs and the ones who have hit the ball well for a really long period of time, all end up with bodies kind of like John Rahm, you know, big and strong in the middle, you know, like they're athletes obviously, but they're not putting big cut muscles on themselves. It seems like Rory went down that road and then came back away from like, you remember when he really bulked up and I don't think he's as bulky now as he used to be. Uh, He seems to look, uh, he seems to be under control. I don't think he lifts that much anymore, actually. Um, and his, his reasoning was always that it was good for his back, right? Cause he was getting a bad back and then he did it. And his back got better. Um, but then I feel like he was getting hurt again. Like the guys who really, really, regardless of what it does for your golf swing, the, the gym junkies have traditionally been the ones in the physio room more often, you know, yeah. the guys who, who lift the most and who are the most obsessed with fitness seem to be the ones who are hurt the most. Um, now maybe that's like a, uh, like a footballer or a Usain, like a hundred meter runner, right? They have to like kind of push their body to the edge of injury to get that fast anyway. I mean, uh, there's maybe an element of that, but golf isn't that sport. It's not a one tournament every four year sport. It's a, you got to play every week. You got to play every day, you know? So I think the training for it should be different. Um, and I think training to make yourself big and strong and massive for like a one week thing is the wrong model. I think that kind of Jack Nicholas. Well, that's the, that's the other thing. Is, sort of thing. It's like it's not a like it's such a long season, you know. The uh, golf over, you know, and, and you start to look at like twenty five years career, your career, you know, thirty weeks a year. It's a long season, you know. That's a lot of golf swings you got to make, and 
the the mental fatigue that can come in, which I was obviously kind of can contribute to physical fatigue, you know, mental fatigue. And then you're putting big gym sessions in on that and you're kind of stressing your body a little bit. Obviously everyone wants to be in good shape and um, you want to be healthy. And we know a lot about the stretching and core strength and all that sort of stuff. We, we know all that now and, and that's all good. And you probably have to do that. But the trying to like out and out change your natural body type extremely in the gym doesn't seem to end in good results very often. Yeah. But we'll see. Bryson, Bryson's a smart guy. He, he'll work it out. He'll be skinny in two years because that'll be the new thing, right? Um, he'll be a vegan or something. Um, he'll call Bubba, pescatarian. He'll be a pescatarian <laughs> and he'll be doing yoga every day and tell everyone that yoga is the secret to golf, right? I mean, that's the ancients. They had it right. Um, that's fine. That's his thing. That's Golf for Bryson is always trying to find the edge, right? And that part of that's cool. I mean, it's like Harrington, those last sort of 10 years, like on the range, always trying to do something weird to kind of find the edge, you know? Yeah. Um, but for him, that's what golf is. And that's fine. Like, I feel like Scott's uh, like that with the putter. I think I'm convinced searching with a putter, yeah. that he just convinces himself. He figures it out. And then, like, it goes bad one round, and he switches so that he thinks he figured it out again. It's funny. I feel bad for Scotty because he's such a good putter, like, when we were young. And well, the guys won 20-something tournaments around the world, and 18 of them or something were with a short putter. Like, he was a good putter. He was a good enough putter for how he hit it. But you know, every he time the... he comes into the media center, they say, oh, what about your putting? What about your putting? You just have to hear it all the time. <laughs> It's almost like he got talked into it by other people that he wasn't a good putter. One of my favorite moments of 2019 was that he was, he was, uh, he was in the second to last group, I think on Saturday or Sunday at Augusta. And he was messing around with like tabletop putting on the putting green before his tee time. It's like, you're 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 almost in the last group here. You know, you got a chance to win the master and you're messing around with your putting stroke. I know. I mean, because he's just, as I said, I think there's not. He's a decent. He's a he's a decent putter, and always that he was a very very good putter. I would say early, and he's always been a decent putter. And I feel like he's just you search everybody. Look, that's. I mean, that's golf for some people, right? Some people like the search. That's part of it, you know. And he comes out one day, it might click for him, and he'll and he'll putt like Snedeker for six months, and he'll win everything. You know what I mean? Um, some guys, they chase equipment. Some guys chase their body. Some guys chase technique. But that's what gets them out of bed in the morning. You know? Yeah, you got to like, chase something. My dad oh, my dad must have had 50 sets of golf clubs in my childhood. Like every three months, he's trading them in to get something else or he's swapping to get these. And he had everything from like Muirfield blades, the Nicholas things, to Ping Zing twos and everything, right? All the way through. Um, but for him, walking through golf shops and finding the, the secret on the equipment racks, that was golf for him. You know, that was part of, if he didn't have that, golf wouldn't have been as fun for him. You know, it's like people who shop for cars or um, like, it's just, that's his thing. And for some people it's technique and for some people it's uh, traveling around and like playing all crazy weird golf courses and stuff. But everybody has their little niche in golf and for Bryson, it's, it's that side of things, you know? So that's, a, that's a great way to put it. It's uh, you know, this year, Adam Scott had the best statistical year of his career. Did really? 2019? 
Yeah, this is with my combined metric. He was 13th around the greens, on and around the greens. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I would have said he would have nearly couldn't not win the FedEx Cup if he was that high. He must. Where did he finish in the end? He must have. He was. He, was, he made the Fed. He made two championship, right? Yeah, he did. I think. Yeah, he did. He was. He was forty third off the tee, fourth approach, thirteenth, around uh, on and around the greens. Pretty crazy. There you go. That is. And he didn't that's win. Impressive. That's the crazy thing. Until like the last week or two week, a couple weeks ago, in at Australia. Oh, Australian PGA, yeah. Yeah. So. I'm, yeah, it's an. Inter- it's that's why it's such a great game, Ron. It's. Uh, I mean, you think. I mean, Adam Scott, as good as he is, I mean, he's ranked 27th in the world or something at the moment, right? 25th or something? I mean, 13. He okay, just, he's 13. He came, up to 30. he came up from like 25 to 13, is that right? Yeah, he was 27th at, at the Masters, but he he had an awesome... I mean, the stats bear it out. I mean, he had just a ton of top fives this year. And as good a player as he is, as good as he played, and a ton of top fives, and you saw him all year, he's still only 13th. Like, there's 12 players better than him. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It's it's nuts. I mean it's like it's like uh Tony Finau's finished what seven runner ups in three years or eight runner ups in three years. It's like it's it's really hard to win. It is hard to win. Um JT. So what JT's won twelve. Yeah. Already. That's pretty amazing. He's good. Really good. Uh what what's the winning score at Wingfoot? Well, depending on setup, I think a lot of there's been a lot of water under the bridge since 2006, right? With setup stuff, and Shinoko a couple of years ago was a little bit of a, and Phil doing what Phil did, I think, at Shinnecock, they had emergency meetings about that. I really do think they're um, they're going to go for slightly more sensible setups going forward. I would think slightly. So saying that, um, I'm around even par. I mean, that's not really going out on a limb. It won't be as hard as when we played it, I don't think. Um, it's been redone. I think the greens, when we were there, this is not a shot on the wing foot greens, but the way the USGA set them up, they were so ropey on Thursday afternoon and Friday afternoon with the two full fields in the afternoon because they were so on the edge. They were almost unputtable on the Thursday afternoon, Friday afternoon situation. Um, with the, After the cut and the smaller field, they're a little bit better on the weekend. Um, they'll be better than that, I think, because they won't stress them quite as much. So the putting might be a little bit better. Putting was probably the hardest thing at Wingsfoot last time. Um, even par. What a place. I'm quite motivated to try to get in because I'm not exempt anymore, so I have to try to qualify. So I'm going to obviously try to qualify. It's a pretty special spot. Yeah, it's cool. I, I went there twice this uh, this fall. I, it's a neat spot. The, uh... How's it shaping? Have they started? Have they kind of... Well, they wouldn't. They don't do that until I guess it's no melt, right? But like the where the fairways are going to be. Did you see where the oh, fairways yeah. are going to be? Oh yeah, they narrowed it up a little. I got. I'll I'll send yeah. you all the all the drone stuff with great golf courses, like especially great greens. If somebody, if I get called up and Andy, you're going to play Chicago golf. I, you want to come play Chicago golf? I like. I'm like, yeah. And then I immediately, like, I immediately start thinking about the fourth green there. You know, the par five. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just it's like. It terrifies me. I'm scared shitless. Like, and, and whenever I think about playing there, that's what I immediately think of is the fourth green. And I think it's so unique. Wingfoot has just these amazing greens, 
But the first screen, to me, is like absolutely terrifying. So how could you build? You couldn't build that green now, right? It's so crazy. Um, and it's the first hole. It's a relatively docile hole, right? But you got this green. It's just, it's unbelievable. It's incredible because you just want to leave it on the front edge, but that's your fun isn't over there. Um, no, it's brilliant. You're right. The first hole, the first green is probably the scariest there, don't you think? I, I think so. It is just like welcome to Wingfoot. <laughs> yeah, right. It's um what a place. I mean, it's such a great court. The greens are crazy everywhere. Not great good crazy, like crazy good. Yeah. But um it's generally a front edge course. Um but there's five or six in there that like eighteen, you can't obviously hit on the front edge at eighteen, you know. Um that's brilliant. Yeah, the first that's the scariest first green. That it's like the first green Augusta. It's like the untalked about thing at the masters is like the first green might be the hardest green in the whole place um welcome to the masters kind of thing and the first of wingfoot's exactly the same so welcome to wingfoot yeah yeah that it's it's just hard if you don't drive it well out there you're dead yeah yeah i mean my short game the reason i won that that year i think was my short game was just outrageous and it was in that kind of it was mike davis's first year but it was still the kind of the same era before of 22 yard wide fairways. Um, so they were so narrow that everybody missed them, right? So nobody's hitting lots of greens in regulation. So in, I guess the point of narrow fairways is to say, well, the straightest hitter, the, the best ball strikers going to have the advantage. It's so narrow that no one had the advantage. So everyone was wedging it out. So everybody's trying to get it up and down for par. And so the guy who got it up and down best for par probably won. So who's, I mean, me, I was great at that at that stage. And Phil, Walter yeah. was great at that. The guys who were up there, Jim Furyk, Harrington, they were great guys with a wedge. So it was quite interesting that the setup to find the best ball striker ironically found the best wedge games. You know, um, it was the counterintuitiveness of golf. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting thing. But Wingfoot, there's uh, so li- there's create... so little space that nobody could do it. It's so small that no one can hit it, right? Whereas when you go to the Masters and it's really wide, well, everybody can hit the fairway, but only the best guys can work out where on the fairway and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Royal Melbourne stuff we were talking Royal, about. Yeah. Um, but Wingfoot is a... It's tough off the tee, but it's tough into the greens because every swing is with a little bit of fear. You know, it's hard to be really confident because there's so many bad places you can hit it around the greens that you always end up hitting it short. Um, I always found anyway. Um Webb Simpson. What a place. That could be a winner. Yeah. Yeah. Webb Simpson. I know they've put a bit of length on it, um, but Webb doesn't seem to, even though he's not that long, he doesn't seem to, he still seems to play well on long courses. Yeah. You know, he's Webb. he's so good with irons and short game, you know. Webb could be the guy. I mean, it's like hard to look past the Stallions too, right? I mean, if, yeah. Brooks, if Brooks and Dustin and Rory and Xander and JT, if they get going, um, I mean, Brooks, it's hard to look past him in a US Open. What's he going? Win, win second. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, that start to Pebble was insane. Yeah. I mean, just nuts, right? So it's, and it's right down his street because he can smash that two iron off the tee and um, hit it a long way down there. One of those guys who could do that maybe has an advantage. So a guy can hit those 280 yards, three out two irons and stuff. Yeah. Um, would be an advantage. So, like, uh, who knows? I mean, he'd be your starting favorite, maybe a Ram, you know, because his short game, Ram's short game might be the best of those three or four guys at the top. Um, yeah. And last time, Wingfoot was certainly a short game contest. So, 
Give me good. What a venue. I mean, New York, you get the best crowd, especially North End City. You get a slightly um, you get the rest of the crowd. Um, so it's uh, yeah, what a yeah. place. It's um, we they've had golf professional golf in Westchester County for like a hundred years, right? Because we used to play at Westchester and Wingfoot, and they they understand the game. And, um, yeah, it's a brilliant. Yeah, it's a cool place. Wingfoot, my, my, it's my favorite U.S. Open venue, obviously. Yeah. All right. We're going to wrap it here. We're going to, we're, we're, uh, but thanks for coming on. What do you got coming up? You got anything coming up? Um, nothing. I'm playing in the Vic Open here that the tournament where we play, um, men's and women's concurrently. Yeah. Um, that's a good tournament. I believe it's 2 million Australian both sides. It's, a, it's, I think it's the first LPGA event of the year, like legit. So it gets a really good women's field. And guys field, it's a European tour event, so you get a pretty decent field, really, considering where it is and the time it's at. So play that, and I'm going to play uh, the New Zealand Open a couple of weeks later in Queenstown, one of the maybe the prettiest places in the world to play a golf tournament. And then, I don't know, we'll see. I'm heading over, I'm going to play a few this year and bounce around and keep keep track with Shady. Shady's coming along. Our, our work at Shady's uh, probably halfway through mm-hmm. um, on the big course, and that's coming along really, really well. That's been fun. and. 